Welcome to the NFT Now podcast, your go-to source to succeed in the fast-moving world of Web3. I'm Matt Medved. Each week, we interview visionary creators, builders, and collectors, so you can stay up to date on the most important trends and tactics for the internet's next frontier. I'm Matt Medved, co-founder, CEO, and editor-in-chief of Now Media, uh, and we are so excited to kick things off with an incredible fireside chat uh, with Deepak Chopra and Punacha. We've got, give it up, give it up. Founder and CEO, respectively, of the Chopra Foundation. Um, And, you know, we're going to dive right into it because there's just so much to talk about. There's there's some really incredible, incredible topics here. Uh, We were together just a few weeks ago at the United Nations for the We the Future Summit. And one of the topics that I thought uh, you spoke to with with great clarity um, was the topic of AI, which is on everyone's mind, right? And so I would love to hear, how are you thinking about the future of AI through your own lens? So I'm glad you said through my lens, because I'm certainly not an expert in AI. But right now, if you look at the future of well-being and all the developments that happened even post-COVID, here are the major things that are happening in medicine. AI drives them all, by the way. So AI comes first. The second breakthrough is gene editing. So about 5% of disease is genetically fully penetrant, which means you can't stop it. If somebody has a Baraka gene like Angelina Jolie had, uh, for now, there's only what you call preventive mastectomy, which she did, which was the right thing to do. But around the corner, actually, gene editing is happening. And um, it's already approved for things like sickle cell but it will be approved soon for any disease. You can cut and paste genes the same way as you cut and paste an email. Okay, so you can get rid of these diseases, 5%. The rest are epigenetic. I'll talk about that in a moment. So gene editing after AI. AI comes first, gene editing. The third is something called messenger RNA. So during COVID, uh, messenger RNA techniques were used to create vaccines. Messenger RNA actually trans, is the translator of what DNA does. So DNA is transcription, and then messenger RNA produces the protein. Once you know the code of messenger RNA, you can, first of all, create vaccines for any disease, cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's, etc. But even more important, you can create trillions of proteins without killing an animal. Um, and AI will drive that. So right now, you know, the world lives on chicken, fish, lamb, beef, and pork. Well, with this, you can create trillions of proteins without killing animals. You can create vaccines. So that's the third. The fourth is something called the microbiome. So we have 25,000 human genes, but we have 2 million bacterial genes. And these are, as in fact, they're more important than the human genes. Because technically then, we are a few human cells hanging on to a bacterial quality. That's who we are. Now, you can change the genes through diet and through vagal stimulation and many other techniques. But AI will be looking at, say, the microbiome and 
connecting it to gene activity, to neuroplasticity, etc. So that's the fourth breakthrough. Um, the fifth breakthrough is epigenetics, which means any experience you have actually triggers genes to go on and off. So if you're having, say, experience of joy or empathy or compassion or peace, then the genes go in the direction of homeostasis or self-regulation or healing. And if you're stressed, fear, anxiety, depression, guilt, shame, humiliation, genes cause inflammation. So you could actually now look at gene activity, correlate it with heart rate variability, and many other parameters. So epigenetics. And then, you know, during COVID, we also learned how vagal stimulation actually counteracts stress and sympathetic overdrive. So you'll have technologies, we're looking at some technologies like little ear pods that will be stimulating your auricular nerve and deflaming you while we are having this conversation or you're playing tennis or whatever. So given all this, the future of well-being is very precise, very precise. Never has it been so precise. It's very personal because, you know, you and I might react to the same food differently. Uh, if you have, say, everybody thinks spinach is good for you, but if you have oxalate deficiency, it's not good for you. It causes kidney stones. So it will be very precise, very personalized, very predictive. It will prevent disease. It will even reverse disease. And it's a process that we can all participate in. And, you know, you can also have medical records and you can, you know, insurance um, connections, all kinds of things. So these are the major breakthroughs. And then there's other stuff too, but I'll stop here. Of course. Punacha, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. From a Chopra Foundation perspective, I want to take, I think AI has an instrumental role to play in mental health. We're all super connected, but very lonely. Every 40 seconds, we lose someone to suicide globally. The world lacks intimacy. From the foundation perspective, during the pandemic, we launched an AI chatbot. We thought maybe we'll have 20,000 messages on it, right? And it was called PV, and Gabriel is in the crowd. So we had more than 26 million messages on it, more than 14 million minutes of conversation, and 4,800 suicidal ideation interventions. So we believe that AI, if today in the United States, one of the most powerful countries in the world, it takes six weeks before you can actually get mental health counseling. That's a very good rate, actually. People are waiting. So we believe that we can actually use AI technology to become your personal digital assistant, your mental health coach, because technology understands you very well. As I sit down here, like Deepak mentioned, my heart rate, heart rate availability is on this phone. EDA, electrodermal activity, understands stress. My voice, the pitch and standard deviation, understands my stress. Your selfies you take can be analyzed. Your phone knows you better. Even when you write a flirtatious text message, today we know when you're flirting because you can actually analyze the, your typing style. So we believe if AI is harnessed to be more conscious, that's the right word, right? Conscious AI, and using the right data sets, we could actually alleviate human suffering. And today in the world, like in, this is the condition here in, in the United States, Countries like Bang in, in India, Bangalore, which I come from, 10 million plus people, it's hard to get even a therapist, right? And there's a stigma. So this is where I think mental health and AI 
is going to be a very instrumental part as we go forward. I think that would be, I would say, an air, key area of focus. And from my perspective, that's why we're going to double down, right? The second area we're going to double down on is the whole area of health span. People are going to live longer, thanks to modern science, but how do you live better? How do you improve, like Deepak talks about, we want the wisdom of age and the biology of youth. And today we look at the exhibits of Rafiq Anadol and all the AI feedback. We believe that artists, musicians, can AI can come together to really work and address areas like cognitive function, neurogenesis. So everybody here probably understands plant medicine, probably have done some kind of a psychedelic experience. How do we recreate those using technology? And that's digitally. And that's, I mean, I would love for Deepak to share your thoughts on maybe the electrome and how you see that coming together, maybe as a follow-on, you know? I don't know, that's just a thought. Well, ultimately, your body can be mapped out through equations, mathematical equations. And right now, there's no experience that cannot be mapped out already. So even as we are speaking right now and people are listening to us and if this is going on, say, live stream, everybody's neural networks here are being activated, which means genes are being activated. If this was uh, emotionally melodramatic, um, uh, conversation, then genes in the limbic system would get elevated. If this was, uh, say, you heard of a terrorist attack or something, reptilian brain would be activated. So even as I'm speaking to you, because, you know, I'm kind of interested in this, I know which part of the brain is being activated. And now, through digital technology and mathematical mapping, you can actually change the activity of your genes because there's no experience that is not either influencing genes. Genes are like switches. So, you know, you have switches and they have chemical names, methylation, deacetylation, etc. But you can switch on the genes that are good for health or for relationship or for love or, you know, get a, give a person a dopamine hit or serotonin hit or an opiate hit um, just through digital technology. So the, the, the future is mind-boggling. I'm writing right now a book on AI and consciousness, and that's about how AI can be your personal friend, confidant. It can be a research assistant, uh, depending. You know, it's very interesting because if you know how to use prompts, uh, that's the whole science in itself. You will be able to get unique answers that nobody else will be able to because they're not using the same prompts. And you use the prompts that you are the discipline you're interested in. So AI can be a health coach, can be a research assistant, it can be a personal assistant or confidant, but most interestingly, it can even be a spiritual guide, you know, guru. Not that AI will ever become conscious. Now, you know, you talk to all these experts, even the grandfather of AI, they think if you give enough information, at some point it will become conscious, but that's absolutely ridiculous. A baby has no information, comes in the world, is conscious to begin with. So information is a derivative of consciousness, not the other way around. So these are very important things. And now as we move into the Web3 space, and, you know, with... See, I won't go into what I think. In the deeper reality, we are already in a virtual reality. This is a virtual reality. 
your body mind and the world that you are in is a digital workshop in um, outside of space time but that's a whole different thing but we now that we are living in it's becoming clear that we are living in virtual reality we can extend the range of our experiences you know because right now we experience human experiences what does the world look like to a dragonfly with 30000 eyes okay or what does the world look like to a bat that navigates through the echo of ultrasound or a whale that can you know uh, whales of all kinds but you know if you look at blue whales they're huge they weigh several tons the tongue of a blue whale is about this weighs about the size of an elephant and uh, you know the whole blue whale is like a dozen elephants big what is the world to a blue blue whale you can also use the technologies they used to be in the past you know i was very interested in these whale callers that can imitate infrasonic sounds and they can have communication with the whales but i think with technology and ai you can communicate with all life forms which would be an amazing thing absolutely absolutely and i i love um i love the focus on you know the upside of this technology like we are definitely uh techno optimists at, at now media you know we have our now ai channel which explores the intersection of ai and the creator economy um but we are also aware of some potential downsides right that's a part of the conversation one of the ones that we're focused on at now media is the rise of ai misinformation and that's something that we're working on with our our sovereignty digital cms uh to help um you know authenticate media help digital publishers use web3 to authenticate media be able to verify the truth and the like to offset that downside i'm curious like are there some downs potential downsides to the rise of of ai that you're concerned about or there are potential about? downsides to any technology when fire was discovered that was there was downside to the discovery of fire you know so anytime a new technology emerges there are potential downsides the unfortunate thing is that our spiritual and emotional evolution has not kept up with our technological evolution that's a dangerous combination because you know when you have primitive medieval tribal minds and you have these capacities you can you know you won't need nuclear weapons you can use ai to destroy the world so that's a downside now i've been on some panels uh, where in the midst of the panel where people were talking about the the downsides i actually went on a, a ai and during the conversation i said i asked several ais chat gpt bard google this that the other i said how can we prevent the diabolical use of ai i asked ai and three pages of printout so we can feed that you know we can feed that and because there won't be any secrets anymore i think my ultimate dream is that we disable nuclear weapons and everything that is dependent that is can destroy the world so you make superpowers could become irrelevant in one day if they're but we need a collective um intention to do that and i always talk about if you have maximum diversity if you have shared vision and you have storytellers in every field music and science and poetry and 
the movies uh, and you have some kind of emotional intention together and you uh, complement each other's strengths, we could disable the diabolical use of AI and hopefully create a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, and joyful world. That's the dream. But, you know, when a new technology comes, everybody, it's, free, it's a free-for-all at the moment. And that's scary. I think for being a technologist, I came to this country in 1992. It was the birth of optical networks, right? We created fast internet. One of the first companies acquired by Nortel Networks created optical networks. And what we created was big, fast pipes, which, number one, traffic on the internet is pornography. The second thing was Motorola's, part of the Motorola team, and we created amazing mobile phones, but addiction came with mobile phones. We are at a very interesting inflection point tonight now with AI, Block3, Blockchain and Web3. So I think today, I think our focus is how do you become more conscious, right? So while everything is going to happen, what's going to happen is going to happen. From a foundation perspective, we really want to imbibe the operating system. Like every software developer, every artist, every musician has an intention. And if you can have the intention of love, and if love can become the operating system of technology, not fast speeds, not how do I get more people clicking, more clicks, or that is how technology is designed. We design for fast internet, we design for tracking click rates on the internet. But with Web3, AI and blog, imagine we optimize the human experience. We want to create love. And so with Dr. Chopra's help, we, want, we have four principles. We say if A, we want to foster a platform which creates, a first A is attention, deep listening. Today we do not listen. We have a huge issue with attention deficiency. It's always scattering, right? And second A is appreciation. We appreciate each and everyone's uniqueness. Third A is affection, love, kindness, tenderness, compassion. And the fourth A is acceptance. So imagine as AI, as technology evolves, you have an underlying principle of conscious technology. Every physician who becomes a doctor takes the oath. How come we don't have software developers doing the same thing? How come we don't have musicians, artists? If all of us became more conscious, and Deepak talks of be the change you want to see in the world, then I think it'll be the other way around. Right? We will have create more conscious technology. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, let's, let's shift gears over to Web3 now. So uh, at Now Media, our mission from day one has been to empower the creators of culture and bring the Web3 movement from niche to mainstream. So I was really excited to see uh, Dr. Chopra and yourself entering the Web3 space. Um, I know we, we first connected through our mutual friend, Keith Grossman, uh, who I know played a, a role in that as well. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about what excites you about Web3 and how you're thinking about using Web3 to build intimacy and community around everything that you're doing. One of the, and you, he's better at this than I am. In the we attacked him. <laughs> but, but one of the things we did create on Web3, a virtual experience, or what we call a house of enlightenment. So you could actually own a house of enlightenment on Web3. And if you went to the library, you could access anything that is there. And it would be bigger than the library of um, Alexandria and much grander. If you went to the kitchen, you could have any recipe you wanted, etc., etc. Every room 
would actually enhance your well-being, but also move you in the direction of a higher consciousness. And um, actually, we just showed that in Dubai recently and had a great response. Now people are interested in actually creating real homes that replicate the Web3 experience of the House of Enlightenment. You want to add yeah. to something? So I think the, just to where we look at Web3 going right now, so with Dr. Chopra, I think he says from his philosophy, he said four stages of life, right? First 25, education. Second 25, payment fortune. Third 25, be of service. At 53, I'm fourth, of service. I'm fourth. And the fourth phase, he's about enlightenment. So, um, so, what, so what do we do with that kind of message? We said, how do we collectively awaken the world? And we believe Web3 is the answer. Because Web3 being distributed... Being, it gives us the ability for us to really curate a global community. So one of the things we'll be, I think my co-creator Gabriel is in the crowd, so stay tuned, what we'll be announcing is something called the Chopraverse. So Deepak and the Metaverse. And this is not just about Deepak, but how do we take the principles of what he's been practicing 96 books later, how do we create a community around what we call the seven principles of well-being? We believe nobody should die of disease, Right? And there are seven principles, nourish, move, manage your emotions, right? have a mind-body practice, sleep, connect with community and nature. And if you do these seven things, you return the body to homeostasis. And under these seven principles, imagine creating this metaverse experience where the best yoga teacher can have online classes. Now with VR, amazing things are happening right now. I could go take a yoga lesson with one of the yoga teachers Deepak has curated. The other thing which we also want to do in the metaverse is show the proof of source. Because when Deepak does a meditation, it's not just a meditation. There is an intention, what we call sankalpa, right? Why do you do? And then once you put this intention, the butterfly effect happens. But imagine somebody takes that and now rips, remix, reshares, and makes it even more beautiful. And imagine we can track that arc on Web3. So that's what we want to do. We want to really bring the world into our world and through this whole collective experience. And I think there is an entire movement we see happening and thanks to the work you're also doing with really keeping metaverse going, right? We believe the next big movement of medicine is going to come through the metaverse. And we believe the movement called metaceutical. Like when you take medication today, you either you take a pill or you take it intravenously or you cut a piece of tissue. The next big frontier is the eyes, right? When you watch a meditation. Nobody goes and punches somebody after watching a meditation, right? Technically, technically you don't. So if you really have a nice dopamine head, you kind of chill out, chill out. But technically, if you're watching a violent, you know, maybe a pretty interesting soccer match, you might feel like punching somebody. So how can the same piece of content, one give you a cortisol head, one give you a dopamine head? And so we believe Web3 gaming, gaming is a big focus, is where we want to double down in this new year, in the web Talk space. about the Roblox we did, the mayor. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things we're looking at is, you know, gaming is such an important area. I mean, how many people are into gaming here? Like, and I think that's the coolest thing, right? By the way, YouTube is kind of outdated. Twitch is where all the action is, right? Really, that's why, because gamers are the actual people who communicate. I learned that from my son. As a 16-year-old, he was talking to people all over the world on League of Legends, and I was playing on Fortnite. Or, but in Roblox, we want to work with children. And imagine somebody's playing, let's say, a game. Don't change the game. But in between games, we put a micro habit, right? Attention, focus, 
teach them yoga, breathing, meditation. Breathing. Breathing. So this is what we did on Roblox, and we intend to do more of that. We just announced a collaboration with Sandbox. So stay tuned, and I think we'll have a lot of these collaborations over the next year. I love that. I love that. And, you know, that's a really interesting framework to think about just the future of meditation at large, right? I'm curious, like, with all these new technologies, with these new ways to communicate and, and connect and also build community and share in, in, like, an experience in a way that was not necessarily possible before, like, what does the future of meditation look like through that lens? Well, it was three years ago when none of this was happening when we did that program with Fitbit. No, Fitbit. So, you know, we, three years ago we did a program with Fitbit where people, now, right now you can look at your heart rate variability and you can see if you're stressed or not. So we had live intervention and we had 1.3 billion media hits, which is, you know, I didn't realize that so many people even had Fitbit, but, you know, they were used exchanging with each other. But it was the first time we could show that in real time, you could teach a person to change their biology. Um, that is the future. We now know, in 2012, we published a paper and we collaborated with Harvard and UCSF and Nobel Laureate, where one week's meditation experience changed gene activity dramatically. So all the genes that were responsible for self-regulation, homeostasis, went up some 17-fold over baseline. All the genes that were associated with Alzheimer's, cancer, heart disease went down. The level of the enzyme telomerase, which controls your genetic clock, went up 40%, which, you know, the person who collaborated with us, Elizabeth Blackburn, she won the Nobel Prize for this. And she had no idea about meditation. She was just came on as a researcher. She was absolutely shocked. Now she's written a book called The Telomere Effect, but the bottom line is, with the technology we have and the way we can get feedback and then self-regulation, you can extend lifespan, meditation, you can decrease inflammation, you can look at neural networks, rewire the brain. This was, you know, when I went to medical school, the body was like a frozen anatomical structure. You couldn't do anything with it except do surgery or pharmaceuticals. But the body is not that. The body is not a noun. It's a verb. And it changes with every little experience you have, every nuance. So, you know, the body and the brain are created by genes, but they're sculpted by experience. So, you know, you have a basic framework that the brain and the body is created by genes, 25,000 genes that you got your, from your parents. But now every experience sculpts either the neural networks, phenomenon like synaptic potentiation, neurogenesis, which means new neurons, uh, synaptic connections, which means connections between neurons. And this is an age that Homer never dreamed of. I think uh, from keeping the context of Web3, I love Rafi Anadol, and I think the exhibit, right? So what he did in MoMA, if you'll have seen the exhibit, is the future of meditation too. Because if you look at meditation today, when Deepak started it, the whole mind-body movement, April 1st, 1989, the book was called Quantum Healing. And typically, if you think of meditation, we think about close your eyes, chant Om, right? You go to wear Lululemon pants, maybe. But meditation has changed. And if you look at my son or young kids, meditation is an eyes-open experience now. 
Anything can feel selfless, timeless, effortless, richness of experience. When you're in the state of flow, it can be playing music, you can be watching a piece of moving art, whatever that brings you into that state. Today with technology and artists and musicians, I think we can entrain the brain to give you a meditative experience. So we are no longer limited by the canvas. The digital canvas is going to be so powerful. I, I believe that meditation used to be a very one, one, we talk about collective consciousness. Imagine we're in this 360 room and we're feeling immersed like a psychedelic experience, but eyes open. We can then entrain the brain to get into what we call heart rate variability or heart coherence, right? That is where I think immersive, and we did this thing, Gabriella, we're talking about at, with Van Gogh, immersive Van Gogh experiences. We said, how do we take Deepak's meditation and project it and create this brain entrainment using sound? What we look at the world is sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts. That means we can, by modifying some of these things, the sensations and images, we can upgrade and downgrade the illusion. And this is where I think art, technology, using artists and music, music, yeah. music it can, yesterday, we were having this amazing, yesterday, the book launch, right? Do you guys know Snow Raven, the musician from the Arctic? She started something called Arctic Beatbox. Listen, go to YouTube, listen to her. So she really had the shamanic sounds of bringing nature into and using how she sings, totally transformed it. And if you've done a medicine journey with Icaros, and when they sing, it transports you. And I think we can do the same thing with binaural beats and all that kind of stuff. There's one other idea that, you know, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, it was considered outrageous. Everybody thought that the consciousness is produced by the brain. But it seems... Not true. Consciousness is a field, just like the electromagnetic field. And the brain acts as a reducing valve in using the words of Aldous Huxley. So right now you're surrounded by infinite energy information. We all are. It's called the quantum field. It pervades all of space-time. It's out around you, it's in you, and it extends across all of space-time. That's the electromagnetic field. But there's a quantum field, which is even more deeper, and then we think beyond that is a consciousness field. Okay, now if we can harness a field, then collective meditation would actually change the whole field structure. Our hope always has been, how do we create more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, and joyful world. The history of humanity is the history of trauma. You know, when you go to school, when you look at history, all you read about is wars. But, you know, it was fine in the medieval times. Now, it, uh, it, that would be catastrophic. You could move the world to extinction. On the other hand, you could heal the world. Consciousness is a field phenomenon. I love that. And I, I also loved what you touched on with Rafiq and, and also healing and the meditative experience. You know, one of the, uh, 
one of the highlights of, of Gateway Miami this year with, with our theme of blossoming is uh, uh, Rafik Anadol's sense of healing being exhibited for the first time in the United States. So I would encourage everyone to check that out and, and really take that in in a, in a meditative manner. Um, I think I'd love to dive a little bit more into what you're speaking to about the quantum element because I know that you have your book Quantum Body and I'd love to hear a bit about um, what is quantum body, why, why is it important to, to discuss now and, um, and what, can, what can those who are here learn from that? Well, quantum mechanics is defined only by one equation. It's called Schrodinger's equation. And Schrodinger's equation tells you how a quantum system will evolve over time. So once you understand Schrodinger's equation, you understand the universe, basically. All our technology is now based mostly on quantum mechanics. So if this was being live-streamed, that's because we understand quantum mechanics. And you can't do anything, text message, Instagram, nothing, without the principles of quantum mechanics. That's a mathematical structure, Schrodinger's equation. Now, if you go to Wikipedia and say, what does it mean? You'll get 35 interpretations. Nobody understands quantum mechanics. They know how it, the, the math, the mathematical recipe. What does it mean in the deeper reality? Nobody understands. But make it very simple. Quantum field is the funnel field from, let's call it the source field of the universe, the quantum field. And it is, there are certain principles, superposition, superposition, entanglement, non-local correlation, something called a-causal, non-local, quantum mechanical interrelatedness. These are mathematical terms, but basically it means at the fundamental level, you are connected to everything in the universe and faster than the speed of light, faster than the speed of light, you know, which, is, which was, you know, that was the big argument between Einstein and Niels Bohr because Einstein thought nothing could move faster than the speed of light. And then he himself came up, came up with something called the cosmological constant, which proves that actually... At a fundamental level, things happen not only faster at the speed of light, but everything is instantly connected with everything else. So, you know, we in science think in reductionist terms. But the fact is, have you ever asked yourself, how does a human body think thoughts, play a piano, kill germs, remove toxins, make a baby all at the same time? That's not possible through linear cause and effect. There's a wholeness which connects everything with everything else. That's the experience that people used to call enlightenment. You know, whether they took psychedelics in the past or you know, went into a cave for thousands of years or tens of years. But today, with the technology we have, understanding that these energetic particles, so you know, quantum is defined as the smallest indivisible unit in which waves of information and energy are emitted and absorbed. So a quantum of light is a photon. A quantum of electricity is an electron. Now we're looking at the human body in terms of what is called the electron. So you're, you, know, you understand the genome, you understand the microbiome, you understand all these omics, but the fundamental level of reality in the body is just the movement of ions across electromagnetic 
Grant's membranes. The electron is the fundamental expression of the quantum field. This quantum body is connected to the whole universe, but our perceptual apparatus doesn't allow us to experience that. You're there, I'm here, and everybody's out there. But in the deeper reality, actually, we're all instantly one being. Whatever you want to call it, Allah, Brahman, Ein Sof, or just it, okay? Doesn't matter what you get. But this, if we actually understand this in the technologies, you know, I, I don't want to, this is going on YouTube or somewhere, yeah. so people will raise their eyes, but, you know, there are psychics who communicate with the dead or whatever. You know, if you understand that everything is virtual, even this is a virtual reality, then the afterlife is a virtual reality. That's a virtual reality. There are infinite dreamscapes. And you'll be able to, you know, in a sense, we, we, we never actually experience reality as it is. When you look at the, say, Milky Way galaxy, there are stars there that have exhausted their thermonuclear energy and they don't exist anymore. But we might be able to see them for 100 million years because that's how long it takes for light so we are always experiencing the past. Even when I speak, by the time you hear these words, they're over. So the fact is, at a deeper level, we are all ghosts in a collective dreamscape. And once you understand that these, there are different dimensions of these dreamscapes, who knows where we're going? We will be able to seed um, the universe with life as we know it. You know, uh, when the genome was first discovered, I happened to be in Milan that night and Larry King was on CNN and, you know, President Clinton had just announced that um, the genome has been discovered, the alphabet of life. We thought all disease would be cured. But it didn't happen because it's not the genes, it's how they act. So anyway, they went around, you know, the NIH was there and everybody, and Larry King asked everyone, What's the future in 10 years or 15 years? Some of them were predicting what we're talking about now. But then, you know, it came my turn and I kind of went off the wall. I said, we'll take Larry's genome and then we'll teleport it to different galaxies and we'll seed different galaxies with Larry King. And so he looked at all the other panelists and he said, is he kidding me? And, you know, the head of the NIH then was on the panel. He said, theoretically, it's possible. So right now we know from what is called the Goldilocks zone with these James Webb telescopes that it's almost certain that there might be 60 billion habitable planets in just the Milky Way galaxy. So if a planet is too close to its sun, too hot, no life as we know it, too far, too cold, no life as we know it, then there are other things like gravity and etc. But based on these calculations, 60 billion habitable planets multiplied by that by 2 trillion galaxies, the universe is teeming with life. Okay? Now, with the new technology, especially with quantum tunneling, who knows, we might have you in another galaxy. You know? I'm here for it. <laughs>
Well, look, uh, this has been a great conversation. Unfortunately, I do think we are at time, even though I would be happy to go twice, three times as long. Everyone, give it up for Deepak and Punaj. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and want to dig in a little deeper on what we're building at NFT Now, please check out the Now Pass and the Now Network. We're building the future of tokenized media. I would love for you to be a part of it. You can learn more at nowpass.xyz and you can hop in our Discord at discord.gg slash nftnow uh, to connect with the community. Thank you again for listening to the NFT Now podcast and we'll see you again this time next week. Next week.